Hear all about the new you in Jesus Christ next on Abounding Grace. These truths in Romans 6 are true on a good day and they're true on a bad day. The facts that you're a new person in Jesus Christ never, ever, never, ever change. The fact that you have died to sin is true, even if sin seems to be so attractive to you. The truth that you are in the newness of life and we ought to walk that way is true whether you want to or not. And as you absorb these truths and you live by them, your life will change. It's not dependent on how you're feeling or even what you're doing. These truths are simply to be believed. This is amazing grace. We've all seen and admired those before and after shots of someone who lost a lot of weight or experienced a total makeover. While we're often amazed by something like that, today we're going to talk about something even more outstanding as we take notice of the wonderful changes God brings to a human life. We're talking about the new you in Jesus Christ today on Abounding Grace. And yes, there should be a big difference between your BC days and your new life in Christ. You shouldn't be sinning like you used to. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor with more from Romans chapter six. The truths that we're about to learn and absorb have nothing to do with how you feel at the moment. These truths have nothing to do with how you feel. These are concrete facts. They're the same whether you feel good or you feel bad. They're the same where you, whether you feel in control or you feel out of control. They're the same of whether you feel justified or you feel wrong. These are truths. And truth is truth no matter how we wake up in the morning. You ever wake up in the morning all messed up? <laughs> I said, you want to cry out to pray, but man, you just can't get it out. You're all messed up. And that's the rest of your day. You're all messed up. You know what happens with days like that? One day becomes seven and that becomes a week. And now you're messed up for a week. And then a week comes to two to three to maybe four. And now you've got a month under your belt and you're messed up because you feel bad and you're feeding it all, and I'm messed up, and things aren't right, and I don't like this, and it's all in that place where now, no longer living in the truths of the scripture, you're living in your own reality that you've created, that have supplanted the reality of God that's all there all along, that if you'll just turn to him, he'll turn to you. The Bible says, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you, saith the Lord. And I'm not encouraged that you wake up with a bad feeling in the morning. I wake up in bad moods myself. I wake up with bad situations. I wake up with things that aren't going the way I would want them to go. I, I have bad days. I have bad weeks. Perfectly, I don't have bad months, but it certainly has been that case in times of my life. I realize that. But truth is truth, no matter how we feel. And what is real for people is what they're feeling at the moment. That's what becomes real, and it supplants the God's word in our lives. We live in a time where feelings have become king in people's life, where that's how they actually direct their life, by how they're feeling. And hey, if things are going well, yeah, right on. If things are not going well, oh, no, no, things, no. I can't follow God like this. I can't obey him. I can't serve him. But the Bible never admonishes us to live by our feelings. Aren't you glad about that? 
Aren't you glad that, okay, Christians, here, you're saved. You have the power of God and you now go live according to your feelings. No, no, no. I don't want to live according to my feelings. The Bible admonishes us that we walk by faith, not by sight. Faith in what? God's word. The truths of God's word. And so the idea of knowing something to be true is used at least four times in this chapter. Knowing it. I know that. I know that. I know that. Because knowing something is then going to enable you to live by what you know. We're engaged in a spiritual battle, gang. You know that? It is a heavy-duty battle. Most of the time, you know where the battle is? In your mind. It's a challenge of your beliefs and what you're going to hold to and who you're going to cling to. You can be sure that what you believe will always 100% determine your behavior. You know, one of the essence of biblical counseling is to convince you to believe God's word. It's to convince you that God's word is true and worthy of belief and worthy of basing your life on, that it, God's word is sure and steadfast, that it's settled in heaven. The more of God's word you can get into you, the more that your mind will be renewed and changed and the more your behavior will change. And so although you might have even woken up this morning with a bad mood, feeling bummed out, I mean, it's a bummer to me. I don't want to see anybody bummed out, but we live in this world and this world's beating us down. This world's coming against us and we give ammunition to the enemy far too much. We feed it, pretend it's not real, excuse it, blame others for it. But the value of Bible study and learning is that you learn new truths and your life and behavior changes. That's why wrong doctrine and false teaching destroys lives because it leads people to a false understanding of who, God's, who God is and his nature. And we want to be right. We want to follow after the things of the Lord. So back in Romans chapter 6, he says, don't you know that as many of you are as baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Verse 4, therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in the newness of life. Mark those words. We should also walk in the newness of life. There is a newness of life for you, Christian. You are a new creation in God, born again. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's the truth. You can live your life based on that truth. I'm a new creature. I am dead to sin. I can say no to it. Baptism, speaking of that immersion into the waters. When you and I go out to the water baptism at Aurora Reservoir and we take you into the clean waters of the Aurora Reservoir, you know that's your drinking water, right? <laughs> oh, man. We baptize in our drinking water? Yes. And you walk in, into the waters. You're walking into the life of Jesus Christ. And all the people are there. All your church friends are there. All your church family is there. The people at the reservoir just went out with their family for a day to hang out. It's a testimony. It's a picture. It's a declaration. I am going into the waters and I'm going under. Just like Jesus went in to that tomb. I'm going under. And you know that we'll hold you down for a little bit. It just depends how much sin you have in your past, which is wash out, just stay down. But everyone that I've taken down, I brought back up, right? You guys have all come back up. Because going under the water speaks of death. It's a picture of death. See, I'm going under the water. And you don't stay there, do you? You come up again in the newness of life. What a picture of the work of God. Believers are water baptized because believers can walk out and, by example, give the picture that Paul is saying here. Notice, if we've been united, verse 5, together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. 
It's not talking about your dad. Those of you that might use that slang, (laughs) it's us. The old Ed is dead. And I'm glad to report that. The old Ed is dead. It's done. He's done. It's over. The life that I lived in abounding sin, the life that I lived in hurting people, the life that I lived in not caring about people, the life that I lived in utter complete selfishness and destruction and devastation, I am proud to report the old Ed is dead. And so many of you never met him, and I'm glad. I'm glad I didn't meet you guys in the old person too. I'm glad we didn't hook up one day. Say, oh, you're, you're messed up. Well, you're messed up too. Well, let's be messed up together. Having no direction and no hope. The old Gladys, dead. The old Mary, dead. The old Henry, all of us in Jesus Christ, we have died with him only to rise up again and live in the newness of his resurrected power and life. Grasp that, friends. Grasp it and live it. You're dead to sin. Flip over to Galatians chapter two. Let me show you. Galatians two. Paul puts it a different way as he writes to the churches in the region of Galatia. Galatians chapter two, verse 20. The truth is we've identified with Christ's life by faith. You are one with Jesus Christ and are in unity with him. We become united in the likeness of his death and also in the newness of his resurrection. Look at chapter two, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's a motivating factor in his life. Jesus gave himself for me. Jesus gave himself for me. Jesus gave himself for me. So now the life that I live, it's no longer my life. I live for Jesus. He lives in me. I'm dead to sin. I'm alive to righteousness. I'm alive. It's no longer I who live, but it's Jesus Christ that lives in me. And I'm living with that power. We're not puppets that God can just do with us like puppets and we're robots and we just do what he tells us to do. No, he he uses our free will and making free will decisions that God, he then, he lives through us and motivates us to make great and wonderful decisions of our own free will. God has placed in us though, a new mind and a new spirit and a new nature. And now his love, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, constrains me. The love of Christ controls me. The love of Christ compels me. Those that have difficulty with the grace of God often will revert back to legalism. They want a list of rules and regulations. They want to be told what to do. The problem with being told what to do is that's all you're really listening for. Tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. And then you become very judgmental of people that aren't doing what you think they're told to do and you're told to do. And now not only are you living life for yourself, but now you want to live life for everyone else. And legalism kills. It destroys The law has saved no one. You realize that? Only Jesus Christ saves. The law saves no one. Go back to chapter five now of Romans because you got to understand this. The law, all the law can do is point out our need. Look at Romans chapter five. Let's pick up with verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. You know, the law reveals sin. So I was driving to church this morning. I was in no hurry I'm, I, I try to leave early so I could take my time and, and be early. I come into my office and pray over the notes and talk to people. And so I'm in no hurry. I'm coming down Smoky Hill. And out of the corner of my eye, I see an officer of the law parked there on the side. And I thought, ha, 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 ha. He's on the other side of the street catching the speeders coming up over the hill. Wouldn't it be a bummer to get a ticket on a Sunday? Oh, those poor people are getting a ticket on a Sunday. 
But there were things going on behind the scenes that nobody would have been able to see except my son, Joshua, sitting right next to me. Because as I saw the officer of the law, do you know what my very first response was? I looked at my speedometer. And I noticed that maybe the speedometer was lying to me because it was a little bit higher than it was supposed to be. So after that split second of looking at the speedometer, because it happens just boom, not quick, my very next response was to take my foot off the gas. I mean, he's way over there. I don't know where he was pointing it at. And I mean, you know, I, I wasn't really, well, maybe, well, I don't know. So we go by, I go back down and, you know, I was, I, was a, I was a little bit over. I mean, I didn't remember seeing the white sign with the numbers on it, you know, the black and white sign. But I mean, I was a little bit over, but by the officer over to the left, he put me back in order and now I'm going along. And now I was talking to Josh. He's in this car with me. And I say, hey, Josh, wouldn't it be a bummer? Wouldn't it be a bummer to get a ticket on a Sunday? And he said, who, you? And I said, no, no, not me. The people that are speeding. And he said, well, dad, weren't you speeding? And I said, son, I mean, this is, this is how messed up we are. I said, it's only five miles an hour. You know, it was just five miles an hour. You call that speeding? Yes, it was speeding. Okay, I was speeding. The law didn't save me. If the officer would have pulled me over, he couldn't have changed that. He couldn't take my foot off the gas. He couldn't put his foot on the brake. All he could do, if he chose to do that and be very kind to me, he could let me go. But the other thing he could do is pull me over and tell me, Mr., you have broken the law. Or in spiritual terms, sir, you're a sinner. You have fallen short of that sign. Did you see that sign? Of course, my answer would be, what sign, officer? And he would take his flashlight and flash it right there, that one right there, and all the 10 other ones that are down Smoky Hill. And I would say, oh no, officer, I'm sorry. I did not see that sign. Will you please let me go? And what will he tell me? Just because you didn't see the sign, buddy, doesn't mean I'm going to let you go. You were speeding. And then I might say, oh, officer, what if I was only four and a half miles over the speed limit? And if he really wanted to mess with me, which by now he deserves to, that's 10% over the speed limit. And that's how we think, don't we? That sign can't change me. That officer can't change me. Not even my son sitting next to me can change me. It's a decision I have to make. The law saves no one. The law only reveals the error and reveals the source of forgiveness. You see, when he says here, the law entered that the offense might abound, that's what the law does. It causes us to see more and more. Even in a Bible study right now, the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart because truth has been shared and now your heart's revealed. And some of you aren't happy at all. You woke up in a bad mood, now you're in a worse mood because God's spoken the truth to you. You see how the enemy works? You see how sly he is? Now he can get you mad at God speaking the truth to your heart from his word. And now it's no, I don't want to read anymore because it's conviction, it's conviction, it's conviction, and it's going to be conviction until you repent. And when you repent, God opens that channel up again and says, come on in, son. Remember the prodigal son? He came home. What did dad do? Dropped everything and ran to the boy. Said, welcome home, son. You really made a lot of bad decisions, but coming home was a good decision. And I welcome you home. You see, these are facts in your Christian life. As a Christian, it's no longer I who live, but Jesus who lives in me. And still at this point, some of you are still battling. You're saying, but Pastor Ed, I don't feel like it's true. I don't feel like it. My husband doesn't believe it. My wife, she doesn't think it's true. 
I see my life. Listen, listen. If I were to ask you today, what is two plus two? What is your answer? This is participatory. You ready? Two plus two is... <laughs> now, what if I came up and I said, I've got a new truth for everybody. Two plus two is no longer four. I don't feel like it's four today. I feel like it's five. Two plus two is five. Hopefully, all of you will say, are you crazy? It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what you feel. Two plus two is always four. It's four when you feel good. It's four when you feel bad. It's always four. Two plus two is four. It's settled. It does not change. And as you're looking at the life that you're living now, these truths in Romans 6 are true on a good day and they're true on a bad day. The facts that you're a new person in Jesus Christ never, ever, never, ever change. The fact that you have died to sin is true, even if sin seems to be so attractive to you. The truth that you are in the newness of life and we ought to walk that way is true, whether you want to or not. And as you absorb these truths and you live by them, your life will change. It's not dependent on how you're feeling or even what you're doing. These truths are simply to be believed as the truth of God. And I'm sorry that circumstances have undermined your feelings. I'm sorry that situations have come into your life. Part of my ministry all week long is talking to those of you that have had serious things happen that have undermined your faith and undermined your belief and hurt you deeply. And your hurt always becomes my hurt. It's very, very hard to serve people and not hurt with you, not to cry with you, not to rejoice with you. It's very, very difficult. And I, I, wish, I wish we could avoid it altogether. I want to avoid it just as much as you do. But this is the truth. What has happened to you what has happened to you most likely is in the past. Most likely it's done. Most likely what you're feeling today are the consequences of that effect. But as you walk day by day, the consequences, well, they begin to ease up. Things do begin to get better. There is hope. You have Jesus in your life. But don't think for a moment that grace says, well, go ahead, you've been hurt. You've been struggling. You've had great pain come into your life, and you're a Christian, you have grace, and now you have permission to sin. You don't have permission to sin. Sin will always devastate you. It will always destroy you. It will always undermine you, and it will always bring its wages, and the wages of sin is death. You see, if the truth that you're a new person in Jesus Christ gets a grip on you, and I pray it does, it changes everything about you and me, especially how we identify ourselves. This world is always trying to make us into an identity that is contrary to the scriptures. We live in a culture, we live in a society that wants you to identify with your problem. They want it to be a cloud over your head forever. They want you to stand up and not say, I'm recovered, but they want to say, I'm recovering. I'm a recovering this, and I'm a recovering that. And for your rest of your life, you've been clean and sober for 50 years, but the world still wants you to identify by your failure when Jesus Christ is here today and saying, in me, you can say, I have recovered. I have a new life. I'm not tethered to my sin. I'm not tethered to my past. The old Ed is dead. Why do I bring him back to life all the time? He's dead. And I'll tell you, just thinking, I'm in this pulpit only because of Jesus. The old Ed in this pulpit, not a good idea. I would have had no respect for you or God's word. It would just, whew, no way. But in Jesus Christ, what I had destroyed, what I had broken, what I was well on my way, one mistake away from destroying my entire life forever, Jesus Christ rescued me. And he said, I'm going to give you strength. That, and the old Ed is he's dead. And now you have a newness of life. 
Walk that way. Live that way. You guys are just about ready to leave this room and head out to your cars. I could make it a lot longer if I wanted to, <laughs> but I won't. But you're going to get your keys out and you're going to walk to your car and you're going to flip beep beep or however you unlock your door and you're going to go in and you're going to drive away in your car. Okay, yeah, all right, yeah, you're right. I, yeah, I guess, or I'm going to get in my car and someone else is going to drive. Okay, great. Why do you do that? Can I propose to you that you get in your car because you believe it is your car? You believe it. No, so of course, Ed, come on, how silly is that? Well, listen, it's become so natural for you. It's become so expectant for you that you regularly get into your car. That if you were to make a decision to go out into the parking lot and decide, I think I'll get into that Maserati. That's what I'll do. That's my Maserati, and I'm going to click, 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 and I'll even make the sounds if I have to, beep, beep, and get in, because the Maserati is my car. I believe it. It's my car. Do you know that the owner of the Maserati is going to not be happy with you? They're going to tell you that's not the truth. The truth is, the car over there with three tires and half an engine, that's your car. The one we got to push to get it started, that's yours. This is mine. And the difference is, it's not just in ownership, but belief. We do things every day of our lives because we believe it. And when we have wrong beliefs, we have a precious and a loving Savior that will correct our beliefs and get us on the right track to live our lives knowing, guys, please, when a church catches this, we become a force in our city. We become a force that is not overtaken by sin. We come a force where God's restoring households and marriages and parents and you guys are raising your kids to be godly, not just good. And, begin, and we become a witness like, what is going on with the people of that church? They're all over the place talking about Jesus, telling people about Jesus, loving people like Jesus, serving people like Jesus. May that be our reputation, but it starts with the right beliefs. It starts with believing you are who the Bible says you are. Hey, thanks for listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We're going and growing through a study of Romans right now. You can hear this message again online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or listen through either of our apps. Search for Calvary Aurora in the App Store or Google Play. Maybe you're looking for a good book to go through as we begin a new year. Well, here in the month of January, we picked out an excellent one written by Warren Wiersbe. It ties in quite nicely to our current study, too. It's called On Being a Servant of God. Sometimes we lose sight of what ministry and service is all about as we get overwhelmed by the pressures and the needs that surround us. Be encouraged and strengthened by the wisdom that Warren Wiersbe shares in this easy-to-read book. We'll send you a copy when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Just call and ask for On Being a Servant of God. Our number is 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Abounding Grace is made possible through the generous support of our listeners. And as we begin another year of delivering God's Word one verse at a time, we're looking to our listeners for help. Together, we can reach people with the love and truth of Christ and make a difference in these last days. To make a secure donation, drop by AboundingGraceRadio.com or call 877-30-GRACE. 
Pastor Ed, there is a lot going on in our world today, especially in the Middle East. How might what we're seeing globally fit in with Bible prophecy? Well, you know, Larry, the Bible speaks of the epicenter of all that's going to happen in the end times is in Jerusalem, in Israel. And so our eyes are always on the Middle East and what's happening in the nations that are surrounding Israel, what's happening in Russia, what's happening in Iran, which was ancient Persia, and all the things that God is and lays out for us in the book of Revelation. Now, while we don't know exactly all the pieces and all the details, whenever things start to act up in the Middle East, we need to obey what Jesus said, that we're to look up for our redemption draws near. And while it's very easy to get caught up in Bible prophecy, it's really easy to get caught up in all the details that are going on. What we need to be caught up in is living our life to its fullest while we're still breathing, while we are living on the earth today. So as you're seeing things light up, in Bible prophecy, and you see things light up in the Middle East, know this, the coming of the Lord is at hand, and only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Jesus Christ will last. Thanks for sharing that, Pastor Ed. Next time on Abounding Grace, we'll continue Pastor Ed Taylor's study of Romans. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora.